Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have, what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's wonderful to be able to be with you uh, for these three weeks. Sue and I are delighted to be able to catch up with, with old friends and I know there are people here that we haven't met before and it'd be terrific over the next few weeks if we could just say hello and uh, just touch base. As was said earlier, what we're doing for the next three weeks is uh, taking three sections out of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount runs from the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 to the end of chapter 7. And uh, I'm going to focus from chapter 6 verse 1 to about chapter 7 verse 12. Um, it's sort of a negative series, uh, you know, like it's don't be a hypocrite, don't be anxious and don't judge. That's so all the don'ts, you know, but it hopefully won't be too, uh, uh, too down in a way. But uh, let me pray and then we'll look at the Bible together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. Thank you that uh, you make it clear how we can honour and love and serve you. And we ask that as we come to your word, you'll help us to understand it and to take it to heart. Uh, Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says words that are extraordinarily chilling, I think. It's chapter, chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, uh, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I I suspect at this point you could throw in a whole lot of other stuff. Didn't we regularly go to church and attend Bible studies and, you know, give alms to the poor and a whole stack of other things, you know, that you could throw in there? Didn't we do these things? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, 
you evildoers. So here's the question. How can people be doers of good but regarded by Jesus as being evil doers? Doers of good but regarded by Jesus as being evil doers. Well, today we're going to focus on one thing that will do that, and it's hypocrisy. To be two-faced or uh, a pretender, uh, you know, to say one thing and do another. I, I suspect for Australians to be a hypocrite, or to be called a hypocrite is one of the biggest insults you can possibly get. You know? uh, none of us respond warmly to that sort of feedback or, uh, or suggestion. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, uh, the passage we just heard read, it is all about the danger of hypocrisy. Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Then what follows are a series of three illustrations of the point he's making. It's not meant to be an exclusive list, just three examples. So verse 2, don't give like hypocrites. Verse 5, don't pray like hypocrites. And then in verse 16, don't fast like hypocrites. Okay, let's look at it together. The danger is doing acts of righteousness, doing things to impress others. Now, notice the danger is not doing good, right? It's doing good to impress other people. And you can see that if you've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, which we haven't been doing. If we went back to Matthew chapter 5, uh, remembering this is a fireside chat that Jesus is giving to disciples, uh, training, instruction, that sort of thing. In chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says to his, his friends, his disciples, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, we're meant to do righteousness. And then the rest of chapter 5 illustrates what that righteousness or that godly living looks like. Um, no anger, no sexual immorality, no revenge, forgive, love your enemies. And then at the end of chapter 5, it says in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? Hear what it's saying? Yes. Do acts of righteousness, but not to be seen by other people. Do acts of righteousness, but not to be seen by other people. But that's not easy. And actually, if we'd been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, you would have worked out that it's not that straightforward either. Let me take you back to chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your righteousness is meant to be visible, a light on a hill so that everyone can see it. But, says Jesus in chapter 6, make sure no one can see it. Okay? You got that? Right? Make sure everyone can see your righteousness, but no one can. So how does that work? How do you have these statements that almost back onto, the, onto each other? And I think the issue is how do you have, or how do you live righteously with a right heart? And if you're like me, isn't that one of the great tensions? 
So how do you actually do the right thing and maintain the right heart as you do it? And then we have these three examples of what not to do. So you get the giving to the poor, verse 2. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Now, I suspect we'd probably be a little more socially skilled even when the bags are going past. You know, uh, we don't do it right now during COVID times, but you know, bags coming past. Most of us don't go, Da-da! as we you know, put our money in the bag. We've been trained better by our parents in terms of what to do. But we probably could work out more subtle ways of communicating our generosity. Right? Comes to prayer, verse 5. Praying to have impact on listeners rather than your Father in heaven is the concern. Or fasting in verse 16. Now, when you fast, don't look sombre. And as I say, we could stick in a stack of other examples. Like who's the person most at risk today of this problem? You know, as we meet today. It's me. Obviously it's me. You know, like here I am out the front. I'm thinking here I am new to you. You know, what are they thinking about my preaching? Am I getting enough response? You know, I wonder if they think I'm a better preacher than Stephen. Or if, you know, like, you know, he certainly does better kids talks than me, let me say. But, uh, you know, like, you know, we could... Yeah, it, it is the danger. But the person, Brian, leading the service, he's, he's very aware standing at the front or the person who prays or the, any of us are at risk, and I suspect particularly those who have public profile. The things that are mentioned here in Matthew chapter 6, they are all good things. It's good to give money to the poor, isn't it? Uh, we're positive about praying, aren't we? We could have a discussion about fasting. We probably have different views on that. But you know, do you know what I mean? Like they're all stated as being positive and good things. But to do them because you're motivated by what others think about you, that's the problem. And if you do, here's God's assessment. Verse 2, they have received their reward in full. Verse 5, they have received their reward in full. And then it gets repeated in verse 16 for the dummies, okay? I'm saying that so you don't think I'm trying to impress you, right? insult you to achieve that, but, you know, they have achieved, received their reward in full. If you crave the approval of your peers or your pastor or your spouse or the congregation, then what God does is he stamps your receipt paid in full, paid in full. You've got it already. That's it. It's a danger. I've got a friend who um, was a canon in a cathedral interstate. Canons are just uh, honorary positions for people who serve for a fair while, a recognition thing. And the idea is these people are called together to work out things to do with how this cathedral, this central city church operates. Uh, Cathedrals always need more money because they're always in old buildings that are always falling down. And this uh, particular cathedral got the canons together to talk about how they could raise a stack of money to fix up their roof. And they were going through all the different options for how they could encourage generosity and giving. And the suggestion was raised that what they could do is in the sort of foyer of the cathedral, they could put up an honour board for those who gave substantial amounts of money to the cathedral. You know, sort of a, the platinum group, the gold group, the silver group, the bronze group, you know, and people could be listed based on how much they gave. And my friend, uh, the canon, he said he would be very comfortable with that idea provided Matthew chapter 6 verse 2 was printed at the bottom of the honour board, right? 
They have received their reward, right? And then you'd be fine. It's, everyone actually, apparently when he raised that, thought it was a wonderful idea to have scripture on the board. So uh, <laughs> there you go. That's the danger. So how do you avoid hypocrisy? How do you avoid doing it? There are two, two instructions. There's one thing to remember and one thing to do. One thing to remember, one thing to do. Here's the thing to remember. Remember that your heavenly Father sees. Did you hear that echoed again throughout this section, verse 4? Your heavenly Father sees what's done in secret. Verse 6, your heavenly Father who sees what's done in secret. And again, just in case we missed the point, verse 18, your Father who sees what is done in secret. The contrast here is with the Pharisees who see the people around them and are concerned what they think. But Jesus says, seek the approval of the one you cannot see, but who sees you. One you cannot see, but who sees you. And you know, I reckon this is a really big challenge because from our earliest days, Aren't we encouraged to seek the approval of those around us? Our parents, or our peers, or our bosses, or as we get older, our children, or our grandchildren, or you name it. You go through life seeking their approval. I was at a church in our network recently where I had some parents coming up to me and saying, the latest trend in, I'm just looking around to be careful now, <laughs> in this church was that all the teenagers were wearing Birkenstock uh, sandals. You know, do you know the ones I'm talking about? The sort of rustic-looking sandals. Apparently it just became a craze among these teenagers and they all wanted to be different by wearing the same thing. You know, it was one of those sort of... You know, because they were all concerned you know, not to be left out or to look uh, different. Can I say that none of us are immune? And some of that is appropriate. Isn't it appropriate for children to try and do the right thing by their parents to receive their parents' approval? Yeah, I would have thought. Isn't it appropriate for someone who's an employee to work to please their boss? Yeah, I think that's appropriate too. Uh, None of us are immune, but what Jesus is saying here is when it comes to godly living, Our activity is designed to impress our Heavenly Father. So don't prostitute it by looking for the approval of others around you as you do it. Your Heavenly Father sees, and he is the only one in your grandstand who at the end of the day counts. Live for him. One thing to remember, that's it. Then there's one thing to do. And again, we get this repetition. There's a lovely repetition throughout this section. Uh, Verse 4. Here's the thing to do. Your giving must be in secret. Or verse 6, what is done in secret, the phrase is repeated. Verse 18, what is done in secret. Um, The idea is to do the activity so that only God can see it. But can I say it's not straightforward? It's not straightforward even when you read it. Like, look at um, verse 3. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. How do you do that? 
you know. When you're giving, right, stick your left hand in your pocket and give with your right. It doesn't work, though, does it? You know, like my left hand still knows. It has a clue about what's going on. But, but you get, it's, it's imagery. Uh, one of the senior leaders in um, Trinity City, Ian Bartlett, many of you will know Ian. He, he died several months back. And I was talking to his widow, uh, Robin. She said that she'd been going through all Ian's clothes with a fine tooth comb. And the reason for that was because whenever ever Ian went down the road, he always made sure he had a $5 note folded up in his pocket so that if he came across a beggar, he could give this $5 note to the person. Now, I've known Ian for lots of years, 30 or 40 years, right? I never knew he did that. Uh, left hand, not know what his right hand is doing. It can work the other way around. Uh, there were a few years ago in the city church again when we were struggling to meet our budget and I, I couldn't work out why. So I sat down, did the sums and worked out what Sue and I gave and uh, worked out there were about 350 sort of households or families in the church that could be giving and worked out that if 70 of them gave roughly what Sue and I were giving, we'd exceed budget, Okay. And can I say, it was not a helpful exercise. Uh, firstly, it made me grumpy. I thought, how come the pastor's giving more than most people here? And then the second thing was, I immediately led into this. I thought, actually, you know, we're doing pretty well, you know. We're quite generous, aren't we, Sue? You know, so you know, it's, like, it's just so easy to slip into that sort of pattern. Uh, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Then it comes down to prayer. Uh, when you're praying, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father. Now, literally here, it's go into your storage cupboard or your wardrobe. But again, how practical is this? Now, let's say tomorrow morning I decide to give it a go, right? Uh, and I get up and I think I'm going to pray in my wardrobe, slip in to my wardrobe quietly and pray in there, right? And just imagine 10 minutes later, Sue's wondering what's happened to me and says, Paul, you know, where are you? And I say, I'm in the wardrobe, darling. You know? And she says, what are you doing in the wardrobe? Right? I'm praying in secret. Yeah, the cat's out of the bag. You know, like it's just... That's the difficulty, you know. Um, and bear in mind, if we took this literally, um, we'd have to be very critical of Brian, wouldn't we? Uh, he's already led us in prayer publicly a couple of times today. It's, it's obviously not driving that way. Secrecy, I don't think, is the point, either with prayer or giving or fasting. You could actually be legalistic about anything. But the goal is to ensure that you're doing it because of your Heavenly Father who sees. Now... I want to talk about what I think is the puzzle in this passage in just a second, but I want to take a diversion with you just for a moment, just a brief one, uh, to ask a question. I want to ask the question about what is the reward that's being promised here? Uh, if you do things with the approval of other people around you, it says you've already received your reward. But notice in the passage, if your aim is to honour God, there is also a promised reward there. Did you hear it coming through? Verse 4, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. 
Verse 6, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 18, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're to look for that reward. But if you're like me, do you find yourself feeling just a little bit mercenary? You know? <laughs> sure, I don't look for the reward from you, but I know God's going to reward me. You know? So how does that reward work? What is it? Just the last few weeks, um, you would have seen a lot on television about celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Sydney Olympics. And uh, if I see another rerun of Cathy Freeman's 400-metre final, it'll drive me nuts, I think. You know? But it's been, it's been in the press, hasn't it? The, the last event, generally, on the program for the Olympics is the marathon. It's one of the uh, climax events. And I'm always interested to watch, I never watch the whole race, but I always watch the conclusion because the runners come in through a tunnel into the main stadium which has tens of thousands of people, you know. And these people, they've run 42 kilometres, they're knackered, right? But they're coming through the tunnel and suddenly you get the roar of the crowd, right? And these, these women, these men, it's like they grow extra legs, right? They suddenly... You know, running around waving at the crowd, you know, they've just got enormous sort of energy. So sometimes uh, the sort of picture of the reward from God is painted a bit that way. You know, when you die, you're going to go to heaven and it's like you enter into a stadium with all those gathered in heaven cheering your arrival, you know. So is that the way it works? You know, and you do a lap around this gathered assembly of people from all time, sort of waving and saying, I did my fasting in secret. I gave in secret, you know. I, yeah, I prayed in secret. It was in secret. But you all know that's the case, you know. And then the whole crowd erupts and goes, well done, O doer of secret righteousness, you know. <laughs> Maybe not, you know. I'm thinking not. So what is going on? What is the reward? Friends, isn't it the joy of actually knowing your Heavenly Father? Isn't it the delight of remembering his mercy and grace towards you? Isn't it, in Matthew chapter 5 terms, the knowledge that you are blessed because of all he has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know his mercy, you know his great. Friends, there is no greater reward, no greater reward than God himself. I want to finish off by talking about what I think is the puzzle in the passage. Uh, because there's something that I kept reading and rereading and thinking it doesn't quite fit. And you'll know I've missed it out already. Um, from verses 9 to 15, we have what we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so we have this teaching, this sort of uh, framework of prayer, but in a passage that's all about hypocrisy. So why do you have this prayer in the middle of hypocrisy? Because as I read through this section, I think actually you could have come to the end of verse 8 on prayer and stopped, skipped you know, verses 9 to 15, and then just talked about fasting. It almost feels like a bit of a thought bubble um, in terms of the flow of this section uh, now it could be you know like um, 
Jesus is talking about hypocrisy, starts to talk about prayer, and then thinks, like lots of preachers do, I think I'll go on a digression and talk a little bit more about this and then come back to my main point. You know? And it could be that, and this prayer certainly is useful, uh, it certainly is a corrective for our thinking. Notice verse 7, it says, don't Babylon like the pagans do, and then he goes on and gives an illustration of that. And, and I think it is helpful from that point of view because Christians, in my experience, often are like pagans in the way in which they think about prayer, formulaic. You, you've experienced it. You know, Christians think about prayer being you know, X plus Y equals Z. You know, X is the number of people who meet for prayer. Y is the length of time that you meet. Z is the answer to prayer. X plus Y equals Z. If only you get more people together for longer, God will answer more of your prayers, right? Wrong, right? Wrong, 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 wrong. That's nothing to do with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible doesn't operate on that sort of framework, and that is just superstitious nonsense when it comes to Christian prayer and thinking. Okay? So from that point of view, this, this is a helpful corrective. But I, I don't think that's the main point for why these verses 9 to 15 are here. I think they tie in really well with the theme of hypocrisy. And I want to show you why I think that's the case. They, the Lord's Prayer here and the teaching here, it's a great antidote to hypocrisy. And I also think it's a test, a really good test for working out if you're a hypocrite. Right? Antidote and a test. Firstly, the antidote. Uh, notice how it starts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a prayer that helps you have a God-centred view of the universe. Not us, but God. He's at the centre of things. Your name be honoured, God. Not yours, not ours. We want our name to be honoured, that's hypocrisy. Your name to be honoured, God. Your will be done, not mine. And it's, a, it's a great corrective prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Heavenly Father, we are totally dependent on you. You rule the world. See, hypocrisy is being self-focused. Christian prayer at this point is God-focused. You pray this way and your focus will be centred on God, not you. But I also want to suggest that this is a prayer that gives you a great diagnostic test for hypocrisy. It tells you if you're a hypocrite. Look at verse 12. It says, forgive us as we forgive others. But then you get this extra couple of verses of instruction on forgiveness in verses 14 to 15. Uh, these verses, the Lord's Prayer comes up in Luke's Gospel as well. These verses don't appear there. They're thrown in here in the context of hypocrisy and teaching on it. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. How do you know if you're living the sort of righteous life that God approves of? How would you know? Well, here's the test. How are you going forgiving other people? And you might say, oh, actually, this is one of my strong points, you know. Uh, you wouldn't say that publicly, 
but uh, you know you might actually feel like you do okay. So let me raise the bar a bit for you. Back in chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, it talks about the nature of forgiveness and love. It says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, can I say, I, you know, I say this with all humility, you know, uh, I think I'm naturally actually pretty good at forgiving the people who are close to me, my family, uh, my friends. You know, I probably do okay on that sort of front. I'm actually pretty good at praying for those who are persecuted by others. You know, I give myself decent points on that. However, can I also say it is divine to pray for and to forgive those who are your enemies and those who persecute you. But it's not optional. If you know God's forgiveness and mercy, if you are aware that you are an enemy of God by nature and God and his extraordinary love and mercy forgave you, his enemy, if you're aware of that, wouldn't it be the height of hypocrisy not to forgive your enemies and those who do the wrong thing by you? It would. It's possible for us to be controlled by people in all sorts of different ways. Wanting the approval of the crowd, the applause, or to be controlled by the way in which others sin against you, the way they hurt you, and hanging on to that and not letting it go. Friends, we are to be controlled by what our Heavenly Father thinks and does and says. So let me ask, finish by asking this question. Who would you regard as your enemy? And you might think, ah, oh, no, I'm, I don't have enemies. So let me just massage the question just a bit. Who do you find it hard to love? Who do you feel demeaned by? Who, when you bring them to mind, the person or their name, their face, you feel resentment or anger or bitterness or find that bile just accumulates in your stomach because of the way in which you think about them? Here's the test, friends, for hypocrisy. Will you forgive them like your heavenly Father has forgiven you? What I'd love to do now is just to get us to bow our heads. Um, I, I don't think you can hear this part of God's word and not be stirred not to have a mirror thrown up for you to look into. Um, so what I'd love you to do is just in the quietness of your own mind and heart to reflect on what Jesus teaches here and to reflect on what it is 
uh, he wants you to be doing. And then what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll lead us in prayer. So I'll give you a few moments to do that, then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, our deep desire is that we will let our lights shine before others, but not so they'll see our good deeds and glorify us, but so that people might glorify you. And Heavenly Father, we know that that brings with it attention. We know it's easy to be doing things in front of other people so they'll see us, not you. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll sift our hearts and our minds uh, so that we will have a, a view of life in this world and our own lives that is centred on you. Father, help us to be those people who are so preoccupied with your grace and mercy towards us that we overflow with that in relation to other people. And we particularly pray that as we think about this whole area of forgiveness. Father, we ask that in the same way in which we, your enemies, have been forgiven by you, uh, totally undeserving of that, that you'll help us to be people who display that same forgiveness towards those who hurt us or sin against us or demean us or damage our reputations. Father, we pray that we'll be children of our Heavenly Father and delight to serve you and delight to live the way you've called us to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.